Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the latest episode of the Blues on Parade podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about Brighton and Liverpool. Isn't that right, boys? We officially changed our slogan, and uh, <laughs> we are only going to be talking shit about Brighton, Roberto De Zerbi, and Liverpool, and Jurgen Klopp, because um, both like to bitch about various things, and uh, guess what? Both don't have a DM, and we're about to have two. So... <laughs> Uh, Ooh, I didn't even mention off, the Liverpool Zach. game yet, but go we are going to get into Zach. that as well. But uh, I just wanted to point out uh, the saltiness um, from some of our uh, other Premier League teams. Um, and we're uh, sitting pretty. We looked, also look pretty good today. So here to join us, as always. Got a full crew today, joined by Sam and Andres. Um, so I'll pass it off to you first, Sam. Uh, you're currently on a staycation in a five-star hotel out in Orange County. So... Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm assuming life is pretty good. Yeah, life is great, man. Woke up this morning, <laughs> got to watch uh, my favorite team play the first match of the season after such a dramatic, like the, one of the most dramatic transfer sagas I I can honestly remember. Um, against Liverpool, against the team that we were up against in the transfer saga, and uh, man. After last season, this was like one of the most pleasurable Chelsea matches I ever got to watch. And we didn't even win. We drew 1-1. So uh, all that is amazing. And then, yeah, I'm at a, I decided to take the week off from work. I've been pretty busy. Just decided, all right, I'm going to let go of all my responsibilities. Staying at a nice place. And, yeah, I deserve it. Busy <laughs> sipping Prosecco and eating charcuterie boards. Andres, how mm-hmm. are you doing? Good man, I'm excited. I finished my staycation. I was part of it during the transfer saga. So Sam and the rest of our usual group chat were keeping me in the loop of what was going on. So came back from from our little staycation to celebrate our one year wedding anniversary because a, a year ago to the day, all of us were here together in Houston, probably mm. still partying and drinking at the venue. At the time of recording. So, yeah, got to celebrate. My wife agreed to watch the game with me. I am beyond shocked how much she has learned about Chelsea in a year. It was actually really impressive to watch with her. Man, I am so excited for this season, boys. It's it's all all positives today. Mm-hmm. Dude, yeah, I, uh, I, I pretty much share the same sentiment in terms of positivity. Like, I don't... Last season, we were happy when we got a draw just because we didn't lose the match. And I feel like this type of happiness in terms of a draw is more... I'm just excited to see what the future holds because this team does look like they are fully bought into Pochettino's ideas and the identity that he wants to this team to play with. It just seems like everybody is just unequivocally on board for once, guys. And mm-hmm. it's, it's just fucking awesome. Before we talk more about this match, can we talk about a little bit more about the Caicedo saga? Because that was one of the most dramatic things I've ever followed. Just Andreas, you were, I don't know, like, I I feel bad for you that you missed all of it because it was so exciting. Um, It all started like on Thursday where we, Chelsea out of nowhere, they made a bid for Lavia. And it's it seemed like it just like it it lit up something deep inside Liverpool, and <laughs> I, I don't know if it, it was out of pettiness, and I don't know if they would have made this bid if we didn't make the bid for Lavia, but they went over and above the hundred million asking price that that uh, Brighton had been asking for and that we had been refusing to offer, and from that moment on. It, it it felt like we lost him. We lost him to Liverpool. I mean, even Fabrizio, like, randomly tweeted, he's like, the deci- it was, like, late. It was, like, probably 2 a.m. in England. It's like, more Caicedo news coming soon. And then he dropped the bombshell that he was going to Liverpool, went to sleep, woke up, 
to the news that Caicedo said, I will only play for Chelsea. And that was, I don't know, that, that kind of was surprising to me, to be honest. Like, I'm, I'm going to say that knowing that Chelsea is an amazing club and, you know, we should have players that want to only play for us. But Liverpool, like, if we're being, you know, completely serious, it's kind of crazy they wouldn't even consider playing for Liverpool. So suck on it. Um, now at this point, yeah, we now we have. Uh, oh, and then even I didn't even mention the Tyler Adams thing. I mean, that's a whole story of itself. But I mean, now we. I don't. Are we? Are we getting Lavia now? Is that what's going on? So, so I, I get. I was back for this. So Saturday, we wake up to the news that Chelsea has completely pulled out of the Tyler Adams deal. That was yeah. all that was said. And in the past twenty four hours, we come to find out that. Chelsea's medical showed that Adams is actually not going to be ready within a couple of weeks. He's on, he's going to be ready to play in a few months. But due to his health, we pulled out of the deal. It wasn't that Tyler Adams saw the rumors and he said, no, I'm not going to play. But now, yeah, the rumors are now saying that Lavia, after speaking to Joe Shields and even Eden Hazard, who was present at the game today, is ready to go all in on Chelsea and medicals are rumored for tomorrow. As of uh, meaning Monday, Joe Shields, yeah. formerly of Southampton, and Eden Hazard, fellow countryman of Belgium, just some, just a backdrop for that whole scenario and the convincing. Mm. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is finally Joe Shields' strength coming to the fore, isn't it? I mean, this is why we brought him in. He's a master recruiter. He's great at identifying young talent and bringing them to the club. And I think. Everything that I read said that him and Lavia's um, relationship was really healthy, and that you know they they talked regularly, and they seem pretty close. So, um, I feel two ways about getting him. If I'm going to be honest, I'll just kind of put my thoughts out there. Maybe you guys can bounce off of it. But you know, Caicedo is obviously going to be the number one. It's going to be Caicedo and Enzo will be our pivot, and That's, we all love that move. Like, let's put yeah. that out there right now. Regardless a, yeah. of the price tag, he's on eight mm -hmm. years. Be it sucks business that Brighton got everything they wanted. We and some. The and they got the sell-on clause. Yeah, they still These managed fucking to guys. fucking weasel in a sell-on clause. Just so ridiculous. Brighton still wins. Like, fuck them, but they won. Like, let's, yeah. let's say that. But, Zach, continue. Yeah, let's talk Lavia, because I think that one's a little bit more of a debate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Caicedo one, I mean, we're all happy about it. He's going to change the way we play. It's just a matter of time before we start rolling teams over with him in the lineup. But the Lavia rumors... I would have been happy if we pursued Lavia as an alternative to Caicedo. Um, I think, you know, granted, he is a little bit younger, but he does have the Premier League experience. He has a full season under his belt. Um, tons of potential there as well. But at face value, it just kind of seemed like this was blocking a pathway to, you know, some of the other young midfielders that we signed. I mean, I'm thinking of guys like uh, Ugo Chukwu. I'm thinking of Andre Santos, especially more than the others, actually. Also, Casade, uh, when he does come back, I mean, Lavia's only 19. This is a long-term type of signing that we look to develop over time and see if he eventually will fit, you know, with, with the vision. Um, however, I think if we did, if, if this move does happen, which it looks, all signs are pointing to it, we're going to have arguably one of the better backup DMs in the Premier League. Um, but also somebody that can step in and help us play a 4-3-3 when Pochettino sees that to be fit. If we if it's a matter of playing against a team like, let's say, a Manchester City, um, who's going to hold a lot of possession and um, you know we just need to keep a sort of solid defensive shape, I think deploying a 4-3-3 with a guy like Lavia and Caicedo, two natural ball winners, energy energizer bunnies on the pitch, um, you, know, you partner them with a guy like Enzo, and that midfield's essentially impenetrable. So... On that front, I do like the move. On the other hand, it does block pathways for some of the younger players, but guess what? It's also creating a competitive environment here at the club. There's no positions that are guaranteed for anybody, and I think the fact that we have two, three, four players in some cases in some positions um, depth-wise, it's only going to be a net positive just for the sheer fact that we're creating competition for you know multiple positions on the pitch, and the competition is class. I mean, Lavia's no joke. Liverpool was about to get him as their starting DM, and now he's going to be our backup. So I'm a little bit more okay with the move now that I think about it. I, one of our followers on the Discord did mention that if Paqueta is going for 100 million, then Caicedo for 115 and Lavia for 55 isn't necessarily bad business. 
that made the pill a little bit point. easier to swallow. It's a great point. Um, but ultimately, Declan Rice went for a hundred million, right? Yeah, Declan Rice went so, for I mean, hundred. That's, that's just the market, you know. Yeah, that's it is. And and the bottom line is, at the end of the day, we're adding quality to the squad. So as long as we're doing that, and let's not forget, Poch is getting his wish of two midfielders. I'm okay. Let's let's let Poch cook. Uh, the the thing that you said about creating competition in every position. Uh, well, I might be skipping ahead a little bit, but I think this could be a good time to talk about the Kepa move because now mm. at keeper position, like we thought that bringing in Robert Sanchez was great because for that reason that there's going to be competition and maybe that brings out the best out of both of the keepers. Now with this loan move, I'm I'm really confused about this move to be honest, especially with no obligation to buy. It doesn't really make sense unless we're targeting another top keeper. There was, you know, there are rumors about Casper Schmeichel. I I think those rumors are dead now. Um, I mean that that name doesn't excite me unless we go after someone like Mignon or, I mean, maybe Bonu. Then it's probably the case that Robert Sanchez is going to be our starter the rest of the season, and I don't know how comfortable I am with that. You didn't I mean, like that little uh. You didn't like that little pass today in the 89th minute. <laughs> well, yeah, and he came out to he came out to grab the cross. Oh, oh, the 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 bad one. I thought well, you were talking literally about literally passed it straight to Darwin Nunez. <laughs> Thank God. Was scary. He passed it to McAllister, and McAllister found Nunez in the first pass. That was scary, or Sabas, like whoever. But, it uh, was Nunez. Yeah. My my thing is is like, Kepa would be coming back with one year left in his deal, so at that yeah. point. Sure, we're not going to get profit, but also I think recently somebody like did the math. I I by no means am an, an FFP amortization expert. Liverpool fans thought they were, and then today Terry Fleurs or whatever that journalist is came out and said we're actually in the net profit for the season in, in terms of FFP. So suck on that, Liverpool. But Epa is almost paid for in terms of what we invested in him. So honestly, if he goes to La Liga easier league than the Premier League where he was supposed to be the next big thing and he balls out then that confirms that he's gone like I get there's no obligation but let's be real Madrid was never going to sign Kepa and they have Thibaut Courtois coming back yeah that's true who says no, that's, that's very true dad, Athletic Bilbao again who knows maybe Oblak finally wants to leave Atletico Madrid like him yeah. being in La Liga is I think best case scenario now, in terms of what happens to us, I think you're right. We need to get another keeper. Uh, I'm not sold on Robert Sanchez. I know that at his best, he was a good keeper and he was getting linked with top clubs. Pass today was atrocious. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt of not playing at all before today. And and I I think the club is just rolling the dice here because we were going to ride with Kepa as a number one who is marginally, at best, better than Robert Sanchez. So this is his tryout. See if he had a fluke of a bad year last year at Brighton, or if he can truly carry the number one for a club like Chelsea. And then next year, he talked about Mainan. That's when we make a big push for an elite goalkeeper. I think it's too late now. Yeah. I think most elite players are readying for their season, readying for their campaigns. And and again, we don't have Champions League. So yeah. we, sh we would have had to get the buy-in from an elite keeper earlier in the summer rather than week two of the Premier League. Yeah, I was going to mention that too. I think it's a little late in the window to go after that elite top-tier keeper. I think if we go after, you know, let's just say like a, a Bonu, do we know what his value is? Or have you guys seen any sort of like rumored transfer numbers for what he would potentially mm -hmm. go for? Because I'm I'm just gonna start my rant and then you guys can interrupt me if you find it. But I don't necessarily want to go after a keeper that's you know 20, 30, 40 million. Because like Andres said, we're not gonna be able to lock down a top class keeper like Sam. You mentioned Mike Dion. That's not happening at this point anymore. AC Milan's team is very settled. They're planning on going playing the entire season with him. I think if we go after a keeper. Maybe not Schmeichel, but somebody uh, on the older side, maybe with some Premier League experience who could step in in the case that Sanchez has to miss a game or two. That would be ideal just to get us across the line this season. Um, and then you go full on next summer and prioritize goalkeeper as you know the main transfer priority. And then that's when you go after 
you know, your your Mignons or your whoever is going to be on the market at that point. I just don't think at this point in time, I mean, I'm looking across the market, even Bonu doesn't necessarily excite me too much. I mean, as a shot stopper, yeah. he's great, but he has deficiencies with the ball at his feet. So it's like, we're right back to the Mendy situation. I mean, that's why he got axed from the team in the first place. He was an elite yeah. shot stopper, but couldn't play the ball. So we're kind of stuck in a little pickle here. But at the same time, I think loaning Keppo was a no-brainer just because of the massive wages that he's on. And we already know who he is. It's not like if we keep him this year, he's going to show us anything that we haven't seen. And it's a win-win for us because if he does ball out, you turn around with a year left on his contract and maybe you can recoup some decent transfer value for him. And, um, and playing and him playing for Real Madrid, like the whole world is going to be watching him, you know? So, Oh yeah, for sure. And, and, and Madrid's going to make him look good too. I mean, I know Militao mm. just went down, but their defense is stacked yeah. and they keep a lot of clean sheets in La Liga. So, you know, if for, for all of the scouts around European football that are sort of stat based, Kepa's going to be, you know, I'm not going to say like top five keeper, top 10 keeper, but he's going to be up there in terms of percentages, in terms of clean sheets, in terms of save percentages, things like that. I mean, he's he's definitely going to be up there just because he's playing for Real Madrid. So, mm-hmm. But the Robert Sanchez thing, I do agree with you on, Andres. I, I, I'm giving him benefit of the doubt here. I'm not going to really judge him until I see him play for two, three, four matches, and then we really see what he's about. Um, yeah. I'm just going to kind of chalk it off to not really knowing the personnel just yet. And, and just FYI, Bono's like transfer, according to transfer marked, he's valued at about uh, 12 million euro. Oh, okay. That's not uh, too bad. That, but that's transfer market. Like, yeah. So those, add like another 10, like add another 8 mil just out of need and Does whatnot. It's... But how old is he? Say, like, yeah, I was going to say. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he would probably go for like 12 And, and Sevilla like 12 is and like. Sevilla is reported to have like major debt, so they're like everyone is up for sale if a, if a fair fee comes in. So who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, their league just started as well, so it's one of those things where it's like, is it too late to even pull him? I know PSG was looking at him, Bayern was looking at him at one point. So who knows? Yeah, he had a great world. Yeah, Robert club, Sanchez, but... he's he's gonna be our keeper the rest of the season. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know who number two is gonna be. I mm-hmm. I personally like the Schmeichel one just because he's homegrown. He was going to be super cheap, but yeah, it is what it is. Um, real quick, I wanted to go back just the one last thing on the Lavia thing. So Zach, you mentioned how his move blocks a lot of the midfielders. Mm-hmm. I think signing Lavia shows the potential intent for a four three three while Nkunku's out, and we did try Nkunku at left wing a lot in the preseason. My concern is is what you're talking about the stockpiling and sure competition is good but at this point if we were to make a transition to a three-man midfield here's what i have listed so the starting crew in theory would be enzo caicedo lavia and then to back up those three guys let's say second strings you have three guys but we have andre santos gallagher still in the books and then Lewis Hall, who's on loan, where we don't know if he'll be a center mid or a left back. So I'm mm-hmm. counting one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine guys for three positions. So somebody's gonna miss out. And it's there's rumors that Gallagher and Chalabar are still in the in the selling block. And I just think at this point, it feels almost unfair for those guys, all of them. I'm not I'm not picking just one name to say that they don't have the capability to to back up your Caicedo Enzo double pivot or or even be the third man in a three man midfield. I think it's a it's a lot to put in to potential at this point because Lavia's only played one season and everyone else we've signed for cheap also has crazy high potential. The thing that worries me and just to kind of add to your point, because I agree with you in terms of the stockpiling, I mean, nine players is a lot and it's not necessarily, I just want to clarify, it's not nine players for those three midfield positions. In in reality, it's nine players that can only play the six or the eight. The only one out of that bunch that can really play the 10 is probably Chukwameka. I mean, I Gallagher, yeah. maybe, but like, do you really want him playing at the 10? So, I mean, these are all guys who... If you take Ugachukwu, if you take uh, Kaiseido and Lavia, stylistically, they're all destroyers. They're disruptors. They're going to most likely play at the base. And all the other guys are box-to-box mids. So it's like, 
it just makes it that much more of a conundrum when you have that many players with similar characteristics and similar qualities. It's not like we have one player out of that nine that you just mentioned that's an elite goal scorer or that's an or or, or that puts up double digit assists every year. I mean, I think the only guy there would probably be Enzo. Um, but all those other guys, they're relatively unknown commodities, and based on what we've seen stylistically, they're pretty similar to each other. Like they don't really differ. So, yeah, I, I can totally see your point there. I, I think I think it is a little excessive um, in terms of the amount of personnel we have there. I mean, even for a Champions League season, if we're in, if we're playing in Europe, it's still too deep. Let's just put it that uh, way. One thing that like. If I want to look for the silver lining is this new change in rules by the referees where time wasting is being minimized. They're literally starting a clock and adding the time at the end. Having the five subs and having a lot of young, energetic players could end up working to our favor, but that's wishful thinking at this point because... No, but that's that's a valid point. That's a valid point, though. That's going to be like an extra, like... 10 minutes a match sometimes you know it was nine minutes today wasn't there so so here's the thing so here's the thing last season it was i think the stats came out where like the premier league was averaging 60 minutes of the ball in play 60 minutes out of the 90 that's with all that out of bounds all the time wasting blah blah blah. so imagine now we're right every half has ended with a plus five plus eight plus seven like i don't think i've seen i watched most of the premier league matches this weekend I don't think a single one ended with a plus one, plus two. And yeah. and again, add on top of all that, that if you're not going to rotate your players, injuries are going to happen. I mean, you had already Tyrone Mings went out, Eder Militao went down, Buendia tore his ACL. Like, you are working these guys into De Bruyne the popped his hamstring. De Bruyne injured as well. So mm-hmm. maybe it's one of those things where it's like, we're stockpiling and i know not all these guys are going to be in the roster by next week but like i don't know I, i'm trying to stay positive because i really would like to see most of these guys succeed at chelsea in the long term but we know how it goes we bought these guys for pennies we can probably flip all of them for double the price tags even if they don't ever step foot into this first team i think the only one out of all i'm not counting Caicedo. Obviously, because he's young, but I'm not counting him as one of the young guys. But I think out of all the young players we signed, the toughest one to recoup the value for, if it doesn't work out, is Lavia. Fifty-five billion right. is a lot to flip a player that you know. Unless falls he's homegrown, which club. is which he could be homegrown. Uh, I yeah, think he's he academy trained by Man City. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. You, you don't. But I think it was at City for one year though. Mm. But if you're under the age of twenty and you get certain amount of starts, like Zuma became homegrown uh, yeah it, it says right here for those curious romeo lavia would count as homegrown um he'd need to be registered to an english club for three seasons before he's 21 so he played for city in 2021 he played for southampton 22 now he's going to play for us in 23 oh, so after this year he'll be homegrown. If this almost if, if all this goes through of course <laughs> yeah. he'll be playing for us in 2023 i like the confidence <laughs> guys let's get to this chelsea liverpool match it's time mm-hmm. to discuss what was probably the most fun 1-1 draw we've been a part of in forever. So Chelsea comes out with what we thought was a 3-5-2. With Sanchez in goal, three center backs in the lineup of Disasi, Thiago, and Levi Colwell, Reese and Chilwell. In midfield, we had Enzo, Gallagher, Chukwameka, and then in terms of attackers, Sterling and Jackson. Now... I thought it was a 3-5-2. During the match, I think we all were talking 3-5-2 for the most part. Poch came out and said that the idea was for Colwell to be the left back, Chilwell to be the left wing. That way they could prevent Trent Alexander-Arnold from being a threat when he joins the midfield in possession. Now, Sam, it sounds like you were actually on top of this while watching the match today. Sorry, I was trying to press the unmute button. Uh, I actually noticed this more on my second watch through. I rewatched the match, uh, just like I'm still have it on. Um, but I thought it was a really interesting decision by Poch, by Pochettino to put out this formation because I don't think any of us expected it. I know for a fact Klopp did not expect it. Um, we never saw this in the preseason. Um, so, uh, like shout out to him for honestly out 
I think he master he he put on a master class uh, against Jurgen Klopp, which is very very impressive for his first match. I'm really happy with that. But with Chilwell, I, I mean, um, sorry, like I noticed, like a lot of times in possession, Gallagher he was playing by himself like he was the deepest midfielder and then enzo pushed up next to chukwameka so it was it was uh gallagher and then chukwameka and uh enzo up front with uh reese james and and raheem sterling on the right side and then chilwell on the left side playing as like a left wing and then colwell playing as a left back um but what i notice is on the right side, a lot of times it would be like a, a diamond formation. It was Desai or Desasi, Enzo, Reese, and Sterling. And Liverpool, they didn't want to, they wanted to prevent the overload on that side. So that left Chilwell wide open um, on the left wing, and he was making a lot of really nice runs. Um, you guys saw. You know, I mean, we saw Enzo, Reese, and honestly, DeSassi make those like big switches to Chilwell in dangerous positions. So, uh, first, you know, first and foremost, I'm so happy with the way that Chilwell looked. Like, he's really good at that role. Um, but also, shout out to to DeSassi. Um, he, he had a really, really good um, first match. Obviously, the goal, but everything else. I liked it. I thought I thought on the on the Dezassi goal. Now that I, I mean, just gonna mention it really quickly. I, I did think at first glance Reese was at fault for that more than he was, but I mean we can get into that a little later. Yeah, I mean he uh, he, he let he let um, Luis Suarez beat him. I mean Luis Suarez, Diaz. sorry, Luis <laughs> Diaz beat him. Um, but yeah, that I think originally it was Reese's responsibility to track back and. I mean, also Colwell got, yeah, and then Colwell got put in a tough position. He's the one who played him on side, you know. So mm-hmm. it was. I think it was. It was. It's hard to put blame on one player. I think yeah. that. I think that kind of situation gets ironed out with familiarity and game time. It's. It wasn't. It wasn't a goal that that set off alarm bells or anything like that. Yeah, it was a really amazing pass too. It was Most a sick pass was, for real. And, and the other thing is. I don't think in the preseason once we had the right back be the most forward thinking of the fullbacks. So something tells me like we we kind of pulled this out of nowhere and, and maybe the Reese DeSassi connection is just not quite there yet because I, I never really saw the fullback. I was thinking they were wingbacks not really getting back. So I think Reese just kind of got, you know, the, the chain was loose and he never really wanted to come back home. But um I do want to say, Sam, I want to give you actually credit once again, because through the preseason, you were talking about how Matson at left wing with Chilwell at left back was really nice because you would have a defensive minded, an offensive minded defender ahead of a defender and the switching could look really good. And Potch mm-hmm. agrees with you. That's why he chose Chilwell to start at left mid. Like he literally came out and said the same thing. So it's not, it wasn't coincidence to see Matson there all of all all the summer i think this is something we may see time and time again when there's a deeper threat potentially from the wings and and by the way also what a fucking lad ben chilwell is not only is he handsome he's a great representative of our club did you guys see olivia rodrigo that picture with him oh my god i think she fell in love with him she she knows i know exactly that feeling because i'm also in love with him Shout out to the Chili Train for everyone who's uh, hopped on board to the Chili Train. Uh, our next destination, Premier League title. Anyone? Anyone? <laughs> no, not this year. I don't know. Maybe not this year, but soon. Soon. Oh, getting getting back into the game. It was a really rough start. I I'm not gonna lie to you guys. The first twenty thirty minutes of this was probably the most scared I've been in a bit. Mm. Like after a very fun summer, this was almost like a harsh wake-up call. Uh, Liverpool's pressing was completely blowing us out of the park early on. Uh, I specifically noticed the younger players, just like Gallagher, Colwell, and Chukomeka, all very shaky starts, missing touches, turning into pressure. And then 
Tom, you talked about Gallagher being sort of like the deepest man. In possession, we had that back three, then Connor by all by himself, it looked like, and then a wall of six players in front of him. So there was just way too much disconnect and and adding too much pressure on Gallagher to be this press-resistant monster, which we've never seen him be before. So the nerves, Liverpool's energy, and honestly, yes, Poch got it right at the end of the day, but at the beginning, it was bad. Like, it was scary, it was shaky, we weren't possessing the ball very well. And, and I mean, it was almost like a perfect storm against us. We, we conceded, we talked about the Salah goal. And then, or sorry, the Salah assist. And then minutes later, Salah puts one past Sanchez, inches from being offside, gets called, or onside, gets called back. But, you know, before the PTSD all settled in, Zach, something changed. Like, what, what steadied the ship at this point? Because VAR disallows Salah's goal, mm-hmm. and, and it went from... Liverpool's chances of winning being at at, at an all-time high to is Chelsea about to just go off and and open up the floodgates. Yeah, it's it's hard to pinpoint and say one specific thing changed because I think there was a few things that happened. Um first things first, Enzo started dropping a little bit deeper and getting onto the ball more. I really love this free role that that he's sort of playing in and as much as I hate to admit it, it's kind of similar to the role that Bruno has at Man United. Um you know, where he can just kind of have the license to go here, there, and everywhere and, and pick up the ball and play the passes that he wants into positions he wants. But also the other thing I noticed was Connor Gallagher. His first 30 minutes were absolutely shambolic. And you guys know how much I love Connor Gallagher. I'll be the first one to admit that those first 30 minutes, I was thinking, let's get 40 million for him, please. Um, but then, you know, the, the next hour after that, he was brilliant. I mean, not just good but he was a standout player in that midfield. Um, so I think, you know, th- that little combination between Enzo and Gallagher, we did see them playing in the preseason. Enzo did show a lot of frustration playing with him because Gallagher does tend to be a little bit hasty with the challenges. He dives in a lot. Um, he gets dribbled past quite a bit. And uh, in this game, we saw it the first 30 minutes, but that after that, from minute 31, 32 onwards, it was just calm, collected. He played within himself. He was clearly getting direction from Pochettino on the sideline. I mean, I, the microphones didn't pick up exactly what he was saying, but you can see Pochettino gesturing to Gallagher multiple times throughout the first half. And then as the second half came on, um, you know, it was very much of the same. He maintained the, the, the energy in the midfield between him and Enzo. Enzo was absolutely balling today. He was probably the most press-resistant Chelsea midfielder I've seen I can't remember the last time I saw a Chelsea midfielder that silky and smooth on the ball, man. He was so good getting little, out of like, yeah. Those pullbacks, the ball fakes, yes. those little Cruyff turns. The I nutmegs. mean, he's just the nutmegs. His his first touch is oh, what impresses me the most. I mean, he always seems to take his first touch in the right direction. And he always shapes his body in the right direction. And, you know, the other thing that also made it really hard for Liverpool to play against or to play with the ball or even obtain the ball is um, Enzo's willingness to switch the field of play. I mean, Enzo, how many? I, I wish there was a stat. If somebody has it, please tweet it at us. But how many times did Enzo switch the ball from central positions today? The attack was, you know, very left sided um, for most of the first half and even the second half, like you mentioned, some. But there were some times where Enzo would receive the ball and the only thought on his mind was turning to his right and playing like, you know, that little clipped 45, 50 yard diagonal to Reese. And he found him every single time because Reese would always find himself in a bunch of space. So for me, um, you know, just to kind of answer your question, the short and sweet version, Andres, is that uh, I don't think that everything was clicking just yet. You know, after the 30 minute mark, it really seemed to click. The players seemed to understand their roles a little bit better. I think, um, you know, accountability is a huge thing. These players do take accountability. And it shows a lot of character, something that we haven't had in, what, two seasons now. So, you know, the fact that we could go down 2-0, um, you know, obviously VAR turned it over, but we can still pull our heads out of our ass, get a goal back. And honestly, I mean, Sanchez didn't even have to make an official save today. We should have beat Liverpool, just like we were saying before the podcast. If Nico Jackson sneaks that front post run 
um, you know, past Allison instead of smacking it over, we would have walked away with a win. So, you know, I it's a mix between character and a mix between, you know, things finally clicking with these guys. And I think as time goes on, we are going to see those little combinations of chemistry start to develop. Like you mentioned, Disasi and Reese is not quite there yet. That's just a matter of time. I mean, Chilwell and Levi Cole will already look like they have a really good understanding with each other. Um, you know, and the rest is just going to be history. We're going to see throughout the rest of the season how this team develops. I expect to see more performances like this where we do show character. And, you know, there are going to be matches where we come in first 15, 20 minutes. Teams are going to be all over us. But based on what I saw today, I'm fully confident that we could face adversity and ultimately beat it. And, like, Enzo looked like this with Connor Gallagher playing as the, you know, basically like defensive mid. Imagine how he's going to look when Caicedo comes in. When he knows but, he has cover. It's gonna be yeah. Nice. But just to quickly touch on Gallagher, this was his best performance in a long time. He looked calm, composed. He was he, like, there was a lot of times where he was putting himself in a position to help break the press. And, you know, he was by himself pretty much. And he put himself mm-hmm. in good position to break the press where when he would receive the ball, he's ahead of all three attackers on Liverpool. Um, and I think it's crazy that his best performance was him playing out of position. Like, yeah, we have this bet going on Zach Mm -hmm. right now. You might not have to pay me anything so far. Right. Andres, (laughs) one game in baby. (laughs) I mean, look, it was fantastic. Yeah. I mean, just to, to bounce off you some. 10 recoveries for Conor Gallagher today. I think the only person that had more was um, McAllister. Um, And, you know, something that you mentioned earlier that I just want to point out, part of the reason why we struggled in the beginning was Liverpool's press was very interesting. It was a 4-2-4. I don't know if you guys caught on to that. But they were pressing with four players on the front line, pinning our back line back. And then they had Zobaslai or Zobalai, whatever the hell hell you say. Zobaslai. He's going to be a... Yeah, he's going to be a flop. Um, you have him and McAllister who are playing right behind that front four who are pressing. Um, so it was a different look. I mean, how many other teams in the Premier League are going to give us that look in terms of a high press? I would bet every dollar in my bank account that no other team is going to do that to us except Liverpool. So I think just the and fact that they showed the us. What was that? And at least not to that level. Like the, the way they were pressing early on was like extremely at, like. Yeah, we're doing it well. Yeah, and and also, you know, they were able to find Salah isolated against Colwell a couple times. I think that made the team pretty nervous. You know, if Mo Salah gets the ball one v one, anybody should be nervous, regardless. But I think we were a little bit flustered in the beginning because there were so many one v one situations like that. I remember there was one one v one situation where Desasi was basically at right back, and uh, Luis Diaz just sprinted right past him on the spin. And, you know, it's it's situations like that that can get the team a little bit shaky, a little bit nervy. But again, the character showed. So it's nothing really to worry about in the long term. And and again, Gallagher, I think you're right. I think his finally calming the nerves because he was turning into pressure, like forcing passes. I mentioned my wife watched the game with me. I was someone she noticed, you know, someone that's been watching the game far less than we have. So, you know, 20 minutes in, she's like, okay, this kid, is that the same kid we were talking about like five minutes ago? So I think having Enzo be closer to him was key because like Sam said early on, Enzo was in a 10 position almost. And mm-hmm. and I think whether it was in game or Poch finally noticing and saying something, I think aiming at, at getting Enzo a little bit deeper, just right behind that space Gakpo was covering as the left center mid was was where it all changed for us and and we discussed Enzo's numbers obviously with Gallagher doing the dirty work he didn't get to contribute but then Enzo got to do it might as well throw this all out in there 100% of his take-ons were completed 90% pass accuracy 17 passes into the final third which is freaking ridiculous 10 passes into the opponent's box again numbers ridiculous seven crosses six duels one um and he probably should have had a possession or uh, an assist, excuse me, had Chilwell been able to finish that chance in the second half after a, a bad first touch. But going back to the game real quick, 
we had chances all through the second half. Mudrick, chance late. We talked about Nico Jackson's chance. Guys, I don't think anyone expected, and I just kind of want to put a pin on this game. When the game ends, this is the fifth time in the Klopp era that Liverpool has less than 40% possession ever. This is Poch's first Premier League match. We had 65% possession. He outperformed them in XG. We created five chances. And we were the better side today. We were the better side with an incomplete team like we've discussed time and time again. I mean, one match, any hot takes after today. (laughs) Any hot takes? Yeah, are you guys saying anything that's wild? Like, I mean, I just feel really good about this. It it's weird to feel so optimistic about a draw. Like, I'm not looking to, I'm not nitpicking, I'm not doing any of that to to feel this way. No, we'll stay. We'll stay with fifth for I'm, now. I, yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I, I'm tempted to say that we can push for top four, but the question with the whole Robert Sanchez thing makes me yeah. sort of hesitate on that because I look at the top four, they all have better goalkeepers than us. Um, I mean, so just based on that premise, I guess I'll stick to fifth. But let me just say, I, I won't be surprised if we make a push for top four. Like, like it wouldn't surprise me whatsoever. And I already made my bold claim. I said the Chili Train's next de- destination, Premier League <laughs> title. Fair, now with KDB fair. out, it's wide open. Yeah, and Arsenal has Havertz, so... Yeah, He's exactly. Miss yeah. Everything that's wide Ooh. open. <laughs> Ninety minutes for Havertz. Already less goals than our debutante, Alex uh, Axel Dzasi. How He's fitting is it putting that how, out there? Yeah, I mean, and and I was going to say how cost. how fitting is it that you know continuing our theme from the last couple seasons going into this season after our first game, our leading goal, our leading scorer is a defender, and our leading assister is a defender. Um, so it's very Chelsea, very Chelsea. <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought things were changing. Guess not. Right, but but <laughs> one last thing on Desasi, Michael at Michael at like Michael Nine asked us, did you see enough from Desasi for a Colwell Desasi first choice partnership with Silva's limitation? If not, what do you need to see? Sam, I'll start with you. I really, really liked what I saw from him. Obviously, the goal is really nice, but. On most set pieces, he was the target. Like, he, I think that that's going to be a huge threat moving forward. And I am, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, You know, we could always use a big lad in the back line. But I already mentioned this as well. Like, his passing ability is, was surprising. Like, I didn't, I didn't really expect that from him. And, um, so yeah, I, th- I think we already discussed this like even before watching him play that that's probably the plan um, with Tiago yeah. acting more like, I don't know, like it was, I forget, was it us or did I hear it somewhere likening this to like JT and when, um, you know, and like, the, yeah, I think you, you likened it to JT like in the 2014, 2015 season or what, whichever season that was. Yeah. The um, season. Yeah. And him taking a more of a backseat being like the locker room presence, but also like, you know, them playing him when they need him, you know? So I'm, I don't need to see much more to be honest. Like, I think that's probably going to be our game plan and I'm comfortable with that. I think uh, positionally, obviously Tiago Silva is next level, but he's next level when you compare him to any other center. back. It's not really Mm -hmm. saying much. Um, but I mean, based on what I saw with this Aussie, you know, the, the size, just the seat, just the sight of him is intimidating. He is built like a brick shit house. I don't know if you guys saw pictures of him after the match, he took off his shirt and, uh, the dude looks like he could bench press the entire freaking planet. He's huge. <laughs> um, but you know, that was the first thing I noticed was just his athleticism, right? Um, especially on the corner kick goal. And it wasn't just the goal that he scored. It was every corner that we took, he was challenging for, and he got pretty damn close to a couple others. Um, so, you know, the fact that he's a threat on set pieces, we already talked about it in, in, our, um, in our last podcast, or maybe the podcast even before when we talked about the signing itself. But 
just the ability to win the ball in the air, to add that size and to add that physicality to our team, which was really lacking prior to his arrival, um, you know, that's going to be a huge asset for us in the future. And to just touch on his passing, the zip which he plays the ball with is just a yes. sight to behold, right? And we talked about, and, and, and all of the reports coming out of France, you know, leading up to his signing and everything was saying that Badi Achille is the more polished technical center back and Dizassi is more of like your destroyer. He's your intimidator. He's the guy that's, you know, going to be flying into all the challenges. And what I saw today was very silky smooth from Dizassi, especially when he was on the ball. I mean, I forgot who he played. I think it was to Chilwell. He played like a 60 or 70 yard diagonal right in stride. It was arguably the pass mm -hmm. of the game behind Salah's. Behind that, that Salah's was that, when I was talking about his passing ability. That's the main one I was thinking of. Yeah, and, and and the fact that he's willing to play those passes, and the fact that and this actually goes for our whole back four, um, you know, Colville, Thiago, and Dasasi specifically. Whoever winds up playing center back, there is no um, hesitation to bypass the midfield when that needs to happen, and that's what we saw today with Liverpool. They had such a hard time reading our pattern of play. Because sometimes we would go through Enzo, sometimes we would go through Gallagher, and then at other times we would just play it straight to Sterling or straight to Jackson. And that was coming directly from the center back. So that just makes that just gives you a completely different look and it makes you that much tougher to defend. So it's very much, if you want to compare it to somebody, it's very similar to the way Manchester City center backs play the ball as well. Right? They don't bypass the midfield yeah. as much as we saw Chelsea's do today. But just that willingness to play the difficult pass, the comfort on the ball, even when they're pushed out to either byline, they're still comfortable enough and calm enough to pick out the right pass and not necessarily panic. Or what drove me crazy last year was the fucking back passes. Hardly saw that today. Instead, it was progressive. It was very much, let's move the ball forward. Let's recycle possession. We're going to do as little back passing as possible so we can keep Liverpool pinned back and keep them on their heels. Yeah, for me, it, it literally just needs to be a couple more matches next to Reese. I think it will be the right center back. He needs to figure out that when is Reese going to bomb forward? When is Reese going to stay back? When is he going to allow me to dribble up into space? That that's all I need. And and honestly, if he's starting match one, it's it's not going to be too long until he's consistently starting. Yeah. Um, last name I want to talk about is the polarizing one because. Depending on if you type in his name on Twitter, some people think he did great, some people think he didn't, and that's Raheem Sterling. Uh, 21 out of 27 passes, one chance created, zero out of two dribbles completed, three out of five crosses completed, and then three out of ten duels won. Personally, I need to say it, I don't think this guy needs to be starting games much longer. I, I don't think... He's doing the easy things the veteran should be doing. And then I don't think he's making the difficult things happen, which is why we got him. I know he came out and said that he's going to be the leading scorer this season or something for us, but I just still don't see it. Was it better than preseason? Yes. Does that mean it was good? To me, no. I think he needs to have you know, a higher standard like... His stat line is probably similar to what Chukwameka's was by the end of the match. And I know if I talk about Chukwameka, I'd say, oh, he turned things around. It was a, it was a much better end of the match. But Sterling is a seasoned vet, multi-Premier League champion. You know, he is supposed to have been the sure thing in this squad. And, and I still don't think I'm getting those answers from him. And it, It's even more jarring when Mudrik and Matson come in. And we almost score a winner. Yeah, from guys that are cold, Crazy. not the guy that was in the pitch. Yeah, that that's you're spot on, Andreas. Everything you just said, I I agree 100. percent I don't think I I have anything to add to that. I just want to add, just to back up your Mudrik point, Andres. Um, Raheem Sterling came in, like you mentioned, completed zero out of two dribbles. Mudrik came in, only played nine minutes, completed both of his dribbles, completed as many passes into the final third as Raheem Sterling did. Um. I mean, the impact was the just sauce. <laughs> the impact was just there to see. No, I, but, but he has the sauce. But to add to that, he has the confidence, and I don't think Sterling has that confidence. We're asking him to support a center forward by himself. That's never been his strength. 
And, you know, he's never been one to hold up play. He's never been one to link up play. He's never been one to take on three, four, five players and, and, and make a killer pass like Eden Hazard did. What, 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 what is he really asked to do out there? Like, that's the thing that was kind of baffling to me. I mean, the guy played damn near 81 minutes and had zero shots. And this is coming in a match where Chelsea as a whole took 10 shots. We had five big chances. You are playing as one of our two center. You're one of only two natural attacking players out on the pitch. You managed to take zero shots in 81 minutes. You couldn't even complete a dribble. <laughs> He's so, playing the same role as Ben Chilwell. And Ben Chilwell outperformed him significantly. We had two left backs outperform Raheem Sterling <laughs> in the attacking sense today. That's, dude, oh. We're, That's all Saudi I, I mean, Arabia, please that, call. Call, That's all we are I have available for Sterling. I, I don't we really have anything else to add. I just wanted to double down on the he was shit. I don't think we've disagreed. I think this was a boring episode. I think we're all in agreement on everything that we've talked about so far. Well, hopefully, hopefully I can change that because we're going to get into some Twitter questions now. But before mm. I get to those, let's end on some positives. I'll, I'll give some shout outs to some people that tweeted at us. We'll start with Kevin McGrath. He's saying massive positives all around. Can't help thinking Kungu would have relished all that space out there today. Incredible bad, bad luck to lose him. Um, he thinks we're going to need to sign another 10. Ron was saying how good was Enzo and how much better is he going to be once we get Caicedo in. Uh, we got Patrick Freeman. We know him as Black Emoji. Black Emoji, I don't know why you're changing your name out here. But he's saying it's still early days, but what... Im oh, it's actually a question. We'll get back to him. I thought he was trying to say that it's early days, but the improvements are visible. Um, and then John Nomics, first game in a long time, super entertaining, Enzo immense, Gallagher for all his faults put in one hell of a shift, Sterling cared, <laughs> Act 3 needs some work, too many gaps for the levels of fitness are beyond what we saw last season already. So overall, everybody agrees that it was a much better performance. And again, not much disagreement from what we discussed today. So I don't think we're, we're out, of, out of turn with a lot of the things we said today, but I want to ask you guys some questions, and we'll start with, uh, with black emojis. He says, it's still early days, but what improvements have you seen compared to last season? What things on the pitch have we already changed up? And, and I just want to say the directness of play, uh, the willingness to just go yeah. slice down through the middle. I'm, I'm thinking specifically Enzo found Sterling, and then he just made like a 30-yard run and got the ball back. And it was a very vertical buildup of play. It went from the back line to Enzo to Sterling back to Enzo. That sort of thing would have been Aram last season. So mm -hmm. that's the one <laughs> thing I'll say. Uh, I'm I'm gonna say we upgraded um, on Kai Havertz. Nico Jackson is light years ahead of him. I think honestly, in one match, he I mean he he missed a couple. A couple chances that were kind of Havertz esque, but I mean, he bodied he Van was Dyke. making. <laughs> what was that? He bodied Van Dyke. Yeah, he bodied Van Dyke. Yeah, he, he was did. he was sprinting him up until the last minute. Every single run he made was like like he was making a a a variety of runs, and you know he just wasn't doing the same thing over and over again. So he kept the defense kind of on their toes. Oh man, I'm I'm really happy with him. That first goal, it should have came today, but it'll come soon. Um, I'm gonna double down on the character argument. I think the fact that we have character this year is is huge. We have players that are willing to do the extra work. We have players that are willing to fly into the tackles. The guys that are willing to put their bodies on the line. It's it's just a total far cry from what we saw last year. I, I don't look even even with Sterling, you know, granted, we talked all that shit about him. Like, I don't look at any of these players and say he's disinterested or he's not motivated. Um, you know, whether or not some players are ready is a different argument. But in terms of everybody being on board and, you know, buying into this Pochettino system, it, 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 it just doesn't look fabricated. It looks like this is real. This chemistry that we're brewing is intentional. Like our friend Lucia said in our text, it stuck with me. Our friend said that um, me and Sam have a group chat and he said that uh, the chemistry is intentional. Like it feels intentional. It doesn't feel like it's forced. So that's something that, I mean, we haven't had that in probably since the Conte days, Conte's first season. So 
that's a sight to behold in its own. Um, so yeah, I'll stick with the character side of things. These guys have balls. Um, next, we had a couple questions regarding our midfield, specifically uh, Colin Blues Forever and, and also Chelsea Bantz wanted to ask us about the fact that Leslie came on instead of Andre Santos. And here's, here's how I want to take it. It was the 90th minute when he came on. It's one-to-one. And Liverpool has, still on the pitch, Konate, Savasai, Van Dijk, and now Darwin Nunez. So height. Had height on the pitch. I don't think this is a, a testament to Poch rating Leslie Ugochukwu higher than Andre Santos by any means. I just think it's obvious that he needed height to finish out the game. All he was there for was to clear headers and played a grand total of five minutes. So I don't think we need to overanalyze that. I don't know if you guys think anything differently there. I mean, some people were speculating that it's like a sending a message to the board because if he plays Andre Santos and he balls, then maybe the board thinks we don't need a Lavia. I don't buy into that too much. I just wanted to throw it out there that that's the sentiment of some people. I think it's just a matter of shoring up the game with a defensive-minded player who has the right qualities to close out a match. It's that simple. And he also, we we got to see a lot of Andre Santos in the preseason. We didn't see any of Leslie, so maybe it also was an opportunity for him to see how he looked like with the rest of the team. Now, now, follow-up question from Chelsea Vance, then. Let's say Lavia does happen. We know Caicedo's coming. Perfect. Let's say Lavia does arrive. Does anyone in our current midfield, one, maybe two people, get the axe? I think Leslie's off to the of league on. Like, I think that loan is happening. Uh, but do you guys think anybody else faces a chance of leaving at that point? Let's say it is Caicedo plus Lavia. I'm going to say my boy Gallagher. He's probably going to be gone. Um, not because he's the worst out of the out of the bunch, but just because we could probably recoup the most transfer value for him. There's a lot of interest around the league. It'll be very easy to find a deal. I mean, I've already had two or three inquiries for him so far. And like you said, Andres, I think Ugo, Ugo is going to go as well. Leslie, um, you know, I think he's going to get that loan to Strasbourg and you know, finish up his season there. So I'll go with those two guys on their way out. Yeah, and, and you know, Gallagher is also the only player in the midfield who Chelsea would actually sell out of all those yeah. players. Like, Chelsea's not going to sell anyone else. They're not going to sell, um, what's his name? Santos, um, Andre Santos. Yeah. yeah, it'll be a loan move. So I think it does make a lot of sense. And um, yeah, I'm I'm for it, honestly. It's, it's going to be... A little, I think it might be a little bit too much depth. Yeah, it feels a little too cutthroat. It sucks because right as as we tr- we get a good performance out of Gallagher, it's almost as if yeah. we're pushing him out the door. Yeah, maybe uh, that was a good sign. It bumped up his value, <laughs> maybe, maybe like two million. Maybe. Now, before we get into the West Ham preview, we had a question from Earl of Chelsea. Let's see, is he Earl? How many points over the next matches? Our next eight opponents are West Ham away. Luton, Nottingham Forest at home, uh, away at Bournemouth, Villa, away at Fulham, away at Burnley, and Arsenal. Uh, because I've gotten to look at it, I did the quick math for me. I think uh, out of this, I would say 19 points. What did you How say, many? 17? 19. That is uh, 19. six wins, one draw, one loss. Damn, yeah, I'd have to agree. I think uh, And the losses Arsenal... against Arsenal or what? That's where I, I give it a go. Yeah, sure. Arsenal being the one game where I'd be like, okay, it's okay if we lose that one. Because mm-hmm. they're more of a bad. We're not losing against Arsenal. Uh, no. I, again, I'm talking I'm about one week. We still don't know what this team looks like with Kaiser. Yeah, that's going to be eight, like... eight matches from now. So. Right. It's a, it's a long way to go, but if you're asking me a minimum, I'm saying six wins, one draw. We West Ham, they were a relegation team last year. They may lose Paqueta. Luton is Luton. Forest, 
this forest. Sorry, Bournemouth. Very like gonna be very like high press, and if we can just get around the press, that could be a fun one. Bella got trounced by Newcastle, and and Buendia tore his ACL, and then they lost Tyrone Mings as well. Fulham, eh, not really concerned. Burnley should be able to handle Burnley, and then Arsenal being the tough one. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, yeah, I, I'll agree. Let's say there's the a stumbling maximum? block 24? in two losses. 24 points. 24 being 20. the max. Yeah, I think that's... I mean... If we could... I, I could see us going unbeaten, honestly, throughout this, this eight-match. Like, Villa is going to be a tough one. At Fulham, you never know. I think for the most part, this is a really easy start to the season, which is great for us. Um, and, you know, we're going to get into the West Ham preview right now. But, I mean, yeah, they didn't, they, they did not improve. I think the only transfer they made was Edson Alvarez, right? Like, up until then, like, <laughs> they hadn't made Prowse. a single move. Oh, they, oh, yeah, they did bring in Ward Prowse, too. James okay. That, yeah. I, don't, I don't know um, if that's. A, did they not? Finish off the the Harry Maguire signing. Oh, is that happening too? Oh my yeah. god! I mean, look, I the, the, the bottom line is that it's not moving the needle. Like n- none of those signings are moving the needle, and especially if they lose Paqueta. I think James Ward Prowse is a great signing if you keep Paqueta. Maybe you play a midfield three, but they're gonna lose him. So James yeah. Ward Prowse is you know he's just gonna be a set piece wizard like he is everywhere he goes. Um. 30 Harry million, Maguire right? Is, is, that, is that the fee? Yeah. 30 million for James Ward Prowse? Is that the fee? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm just like, I feel like I'm lower on, on him than most people. Like, yeah, he's a set piece merchant, honestly. That's like. He's probably the best set piece taker in Europe. Yeah. You can make the argument. True. It is true. West Ham has some tall ass fools. Like, no, no, I'm talking like, about. Free kicks, like okay, just his free kick direct ones too, though. Like yeah. he's putting, yeah. he's putting up headers to Suchek, Zuma, mm-hmm. potentially Harry Maguire, Harry Maguire as head. Like yeah, it's if we Antonio, just don't foul them, we'll beat them like five nil. You know, <laughs> yeah, just can't foul West Ham. So yeah, should we just like continue talking about West Ham? Yeah, we'll we'll go and get into it. They drew their opener to Bournemouth one to one. Uh, again, the KDB injury probably pushes the Paqueta move over the line. They lost Declan Rice, and now they're losing Suchek's other partner in midfield, and you're going to tell me that Ward Prowse is an upgrade on Rice or Paqueta? Highly doubt it. No. They still no don't have... <laughs> they lost uh, Skamaka. I think he's off to Atalanta in, in, in Italy, so it's just Mikel Antonio who... D- I'm trying to get at is that this team is a um, Danny, Danny Ings too. is a Jared Jared Bowen. It's Jared Bowen, and that's it. To me, that's the one player to to keep an eye out on. He had a he, nice goal. Did you see that goal he scored from distance? Yeah, yeah. But that's mm-hmm. what I was gonna say is like the type of goal that they scored. To, like I'm looking at their stats. They created one big chance all match against Bournemouth. So I mean, if you look at the way we defended against Liverpool. Uh, Robert Sanchez didn't have to make a single save against one of the best attacks in the league. We should be able to put West Ham yeah. in our pocket, neutralize them, <laughs> pull their pants down, and smack them around a little bit, no? <laughs> yeah, and let's I also give so. them credit. They're, they just won a European trophy last season, so we've got to give them a little bit of respect, even though they almost got relegated. David Moyes, European champion. <laughs> what, any, any score predictions here? I think my score prediction from last week is probably more suitable for this week. Um, but I don't think we'll three concede. No? Did I, you I, say 3-0? No? I'm going to say 3-0. No. Yeah. Are we all going 3-0? No? Uh, dude, we all agree on everything. This yeah, is really not bad. Not fun. Not fun for the listeners. Oh, wait, 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 wait. We, we have Robert Sanchez, guys. So I'm going to say 3-1. As long there as James Ward-Prowse doesn't get a free kick, it should be 3-0. No. Yeah, actually, yeah, there you go. That's another thing to put in yeah, there. He's... All right, since we all agree, how about this? Throw out some names for goal scorers. Nico Jackson. Um, and I'm going to say another defender gets on the score sheet. Yeah. Ben Chilwell again. Or Monson. 
God, you guys are, are missing the vision here. It's going to be defenders scoring, like center backs. Again, we're going to get another center back on the score sheet. I think Levi? I think Levi gets his debut goal. Some he's gonna uh, what's it called get redemption for the two Dortmund misses. Oh, how how nice was Thiago Silva's little back pass to him? Yeah, that was the, the center so back. The center back connection. That would have been the, one of the best center back assists I've seen. That was so nice. But yeah, no, why not? Let's get some more defenders on the score sheet. I, I'm gonna throw something out there. So I said Nico Jackson gets one. I said a defender gets another. I think Mudrik finally gets his premier league goal i think it's a good shout because i'm looking at west ham's fullbacks i mean he's gonna put he's gonna rinse emerson and he's gonna rinse Sufal. so i think mudrick could cook next week god i hope he starts he deserves yeah, yeah he should have four two three one play him on the left or the right please and boys next week this is kaiseto time no. let's go any expectations for him to have a debut next weekend? Eh, he won't score. Maybe not, but... Oh, no, I mean start. Where, where oh, are we I just think he starts conclusion? for sure. He starts immediately. He has to, yeah. Yes. 100 million, I think he has to. I think he, he has will to, start. yeah. I mean, we brought in Enzo, started immediately, and never... He, he never sat. Never looked back. He never... Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe we start him... Minute. Maybe we start him, but I don't think he plays the full 90 because he hasn't been with the Brighton squad. He's probably just been training on his own. So I don't assume that he's like match fit 90 minutes. He could probably go for a good 60, 70. He played one or two preseason matches, I think. Did he? Yeah, he played He played some matches in the preseason. Oh, yeah. Okay, either then maybe. Way, either way, it's oh. like if we're winning 3-0, he doesn't have to play a full 90. Yeah, he, well, yeah, right, yeah. right. I want an Andre Santos. Too. I want an Andre Santos sighting. He's I'm like sure. the one squad player that I want to see a lot of this year, but I don't know if it's going to happen. If we're up three three goals, you you better believe that we'll see midfielders get rotated. I hope so. The way we press, I'm telling you, we're going to be using these subs a lot more than people think. But anyway, Zach, you want to close it out for us today? Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it for this week's pod. Um, if you guys are still listening, make sure you follow us at Blues on Parade. Um, we do post the questions tweet at the end of every podcast, um, so make or at the end of every uh, match, actually. Um, so make sure that you're keeping track of our Twitter account. If you want to ask us questions, be included on the podcast and shout it out, just like these uh, lovely listeners were this week. Uh, make sure you comment on that tweet. Write your question. Um, or just if you want us to talk about a basic topic, include that as well. Um, until next week, guys, keep the blue flag flying high.